Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about, not racing, <laughs> not current racing anyway, but uh, we've got a lot of interesting things to uh, chit-chat and talk about. Joining me in the studio tonight, I've got uh, Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, Richard Uden, and Christopher DeHardy. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing well. Thank you. So far, so good. So far, so good. So, uh, yeah, as we know, everything is canceled. Uh, NASCAR is looking at maybe a, a early May start in, in Martinsville. Indianapolis is still holding on to uh, the 500. Formula One is canceled all the way through Monaco, I believe. Is that correct, Richard? Around about then, yeah, we're not 100% certain. All the flyaway races are canceled, I guess. Certainly, certainly, yeah. So, so there's not... Not a whole lot of new news to talk about, other than stuff being canceled, and we'll 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 talk a little bit about uh, e-racing a little later in the show with Seth there, because uh, I mean that is something that is a little entertaining to watch, and although they're not real race cars, we've got real race car drivers participating in that. But I thought we'd just have like just a nice, light-hearted show, just share some old racing memories, and maybe try to stump one another with trivia questions, just uh, just for fun. Since we're all quarantined or self-quarantined, and there's uh, no place to go anyway, so uh, so so bear with us. We'll try to make this a, a fun and entertaining show. But let's let's share old racing memories, okay? Now, Richard, I want to start with you because, oh, uh, of course, yeah. Well, I mean, being that uh, <laughs> being that you're from the other side of the pond, there uh, might just. Uh, It'd be fun to um, learn mm-hmm. about your early racing influences. When, the, when, we, when, we oh, first, uh, when did you first realize that, that you really enjoyed racing, and, and what's the first race you went to? Oh. The first, well, first memories I really have of, of racing, um, I guess, were probably around 92 when Mansell won the World Championship for Williams. That was a big... Um, you know, motorsport was huge in the UK at the time. You know, the British teams were dominating. How old were you in 1992? I'd been nine. Okay, all right. So, 
So yeah, and and I I may have you know seen it before then on TV and everything, but that was the first time I really really got into it. And uh, you know you know nobody else in my family was really into it. I mean they'd they'd watch it on TV as a passing interest, but there was certainly it wasn't from a racing family or anything like that. And um, that was the first one that really struck me. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember this one. So it had been ninety three when the night i really i remember jumping around here so i remember in 1992 doing a drawing of nigel mansell's car i remember doing that and then in 93 i remember in like the newspaper in the uk they had a pull out on the indycar season now that mansell had gone over to drive indycar and of course damon hill had stepped in at uh, williams to replace him and i was a big damon hill fan and i remember him winning his first race at Hungary in 93 I think it was Hungary because he then he won three in a row I think he won Hungary Spa and Monza or something along those lines he should have won in Hockenheim but something happened I think and then yeah he won Hungary and I was actually on holiday with with my parents and I had like had my lunch or whatever it was on my lap and when he won I threw it everywhere my mum was really really pleased with me at that point um (laughs) And then, uh, uh, of course, you know, another sort of event that sticks in the mind was was '94, that that terrible weekend at San Marino. As a uh, you know, an 11 year old kid who was really getting into the sport, to sort of see that happen was, and, and to a certain extent, it was probably my first real sort of exposure to to, to somebody dying, you know, uh, that I can think of. And it was pretty horrific, really, for a young kid to see that and and, and to go through that. It, it left quite an impact on me. Um, and then what at 96, of course, when Hill won the world championship or 90, sorry, the end of 94, when Hill and Schumacher went together at Adelaide, I remember staying up to like two o'clock in the morning, watching it on a little TV in my bedroom. Uh, and then of course, two years later when Hill actually won the world championship in, um, in Suzuka, uh, watching that. So those are, those are my sort of real first early memories of the sport and, um, you know, I, I was always interested and I was always interested in engineering. I mean, you know, my father was an engineer and those sort of two things, I guess, blended together, for want of a better word. And then in, um, you know, pretty much straight out of college, I got an opportunity to go go and work for BAR Honda uh, in 2005, it would have been. So, uh, you know, that all happened very, very quickly. I didn't go to my first race, actually, until 2005 because they're, they're not cheap things to go to, you know. And um, you know, Formula One, especially in the UK, you know, is, is a very so, so you, you didn't get to go to a race until you were working for a race team. Well, until about about two year, about two months before I started my first race okay. with Honda. First race with Honda. I may have actually applied for the job before I went to the race, but I went to the race in at Silverstone, which had been what, early July, and then I started working for uh, BAR Honda in August. So I may have applied for the job at that point. Uh, and my first race with BAR was the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, so those so, are those are my sort of probably earliest memories of it, really. Yeah. So let me ask you this: so you you were you were able to work in the sport, um, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty incredible, um, you know, as you know, directly with the teams and whatnot. So did you mm-hmm. ever get a chance to uh, kind of r- run into? Some of your, you know, your early heroes say, uh, you know, Damon Hill or, or Nigel Mansell, and, I actually and met, just have a have a 
conversation with them because I know it's a little because uh, you're not a fan, you're a participant. Yeah. But, you know, we know those guys are often at the track, so I'd just be mm-hmm. kind of interested to to kind of hear about that. Well, my my actual first race I ever went to of any sort outside of Formula One was actually the. I can't remember what they called it now, like the London Grand Prix, the champ car race or whatever it was they used to have at Brands Hatch on the indie circuit there. And I think the one I went to was, I'm going to say it was like four days first win. So it was probably about about 2003-ish. I know whoever won that race, it was their first win in IndyCar and then they ended up becoming very successful. I remember Paul Tracy's engine expiring. Uh, And actually I met Damon Hill there. He was giving the trophies out. So I'd met Damon a little bit before, and then you'd see him around Williams, of course. He had a strong connection with those. I don't think I ever saw Mansell, but you'd, it was a surreal place because, you know, you'd always see these sort of celebrities coming in and out, and, you know, same at BAR as well. Um, you know, there's these people that you'd see on TV, and they they, they do interviews with the drivers and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we had, um, when I was there, I had Jensen and Takuma the first year I was there, and then it was Jensen and Rue. Um, so, you know, you get to meet these guys and spend a bit of time with them and talk to them. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, know, you, you realize that they're just normal people. It's just they've got a talent that um, far, far outweighs any talent I've got. But it's, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty impressive people, and, uh, but they're just very, very down to earth as well. So now, Christopher Hardy, you uh, you have any uh, thoughts on who uh, possibly won this uh Race at Rockingham there that uh, Richard was no, at? No, it was Brands Hatch. Brands Hatch. I think it probably was Bourdais. Um, yeah. Or the London Champ I remember his first win. Yeah, it was his first win. I remember that much. I remember Tora Takagi was driving as well, the F1, XF1 guy, and he smashed into uh, the tie barriers at the, the, the first hairpin at uh, Brands Hatch, much to his amusement. All right. And so, yeah, I, I, I as I'm looking this I, up, yep. Winner Sebastian Bourdais, Bruno Shapiro second. Mario Dominguez yeah. on the podium with third, yeah, so. I can't remember what I did at work yesterday, but I can remember that. And I remember, I don't know if you have them over here, like little Sky Electric slot cars. Yeah. I don't know if the Sky Electric is a brand over here, but they had a booth yeah. at the Brands Hatch race, and I won the fastest lap of the day and got this little car. I still got it somewhere. <laughs> Claim to fame. Claim to fame, you won the won the slot car race. Yeah, nice, nice. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, as it turns out, your career in Formula One was more successful than Bourdais, so maybe that slot car race well, had. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so uh, uh, Dehardy, let's talk about you. I mean, I know, uh, I, I know, I've, I've met your folks. Your folks are, are, are real nice folks, and uh, I do know that they um, are huge race fans. Your dad's a big Indy 500 guy. Uh, I met him just in, in the hotel parking lot at the Indy 500. We were talking. You know, and I had had mentioned about being a member of the media, and he's like, "Oh, you know my son Chris." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." So uh, it was just kind of wild, but uh, <laughs> so I know you you for 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 a young guy your age, you are more seeped in um, IndyCar racing history uh, than than most people your age. So you've not only um, you know have a love of what you've seen, but you've gone back and, and researched and, and watched a lot of old stuff. So tell me a little bit about your um. You know your early influences uh, and, and exposure to racing, and, and maybe the first race you went to, or the first driver you ran into. What uh, you know, what kind of kind of really just pushed you to make this a uh, make this a career? 
the uh, first 500 I went to was 1996. Uh, I knew that Allen Jr. wasn't going to be running there. I knew a little bit about and the split, but I didn't know everything it, about it. So in 1996, you were how old? Seven. Seven. I was, se- I was nice. seven years old when I went to my first 500. And, you know, hopefully if this virus situation stops, this year I'll be my 25th in a row. Yeah. That makes me feel a little old. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's that was my first 500. Um I ran a Stan Fox at, a mem- at the memorabilia show. He signed a shirt for me. I still have the shirt. Uh, it's locked away somewhere. But um, nah, my uh, my dad had gone to the race since 1960. He's only missed like four since then. Uh, he was probably one of my biggest influences as well. My mom started going to the race with my dad and my grandfather before my grandfather couldn't go after 1991. And then, um, yeah, he just he, he got everybody basically into – you know, following this thing because it's it's really fun to go to. Um, and then when we uh, you know moving ahead, starting to do the writing thing, I started writing in 2014, and I've covered the 500 since then. And living in Indianapolis since 2017 is where you know it's it's come pretty good so far. All right. So, but my question for you is, how did you? Or when did you start just trying to research the history of the sport? Because um, you, you are – I'm really good with facts and figures with IndyCar stuff, but but sometimes you can stump me with races that happened before you were born. Well, so, so, so I, I mean, have, what, I mean, how did you develop that deep of a love to, with, with, the, with the history of the sport? It was just fun to watch, really. Um, and I like I – I really enjoyed watching it on TV. So I, I watched, like, all the old Indy 500 tapes. Um, all the old like 8500 promotional tapes that ABC and the Speedway made. Um, there's a lot of there's that's one thing that I guess is kind of missing nowadays. That there's a lot of there was a lot of promotional content that they made back in like the 80s and 90s that you just don't see nowadays. Um, I mean, then again, it's not there's a there's that big of a market for you know VHS tapes, but. Um, no, I just, it was fun to watch. I just, and we had this old Indy 500, um, mile race, like record book of, or stat book rather. And I would look at that from time to time, you know, just reading here and there. And that's really part of it too, is just, you know, looking at who finished where, what year, who won, things like that. But yeah, it's just, it was fun to watch. And I was like, well, I want to watch more of this. I, I really enjoyed it. So and we also had those old Carl Hungnish yearbooks as well, and those those things are great uh, research, um, what databases or yeah, sources they're, rather. They're, yeah, fantastic resources. Yeah, I love the old yes. Carl Hungnish books. Yeah, but yeah, th- those things right there were just so much fun to read and just to just thumb through and look at all the pictures and read all the cool stories of drivers through the years. It, it, was, just, it was just so much fun, and that's where like where the start came from. All right, so now Seth, it's your turn. You're, you're our big NASCAR guy here. <laughs> so, um, what uh, what kind of introduced you to racing? Well, I have to go back and credit my grandparents for getting my mom into racing, who got dad and then my sister and myself into racing. Uh, my grandparents, after emigrating to the U.S. after World War II and after surviving the concentration camps of World War II. They embraced this country. Uh, They taught themselves how to read English. They went to every single sport in the New England area, including 
motorsports, which they actually found to be more accessible than baseball, football, soccer, because with my grandfather confined to a Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. wheelchair uh they would just wheel him into the infield and he could watch the race instead of having to deal with the crowd and everything uh they got my mom into racing like i said who got dad and the rest of the family uh my first race was actually in 1995 the meridian advantage 200 at nazareth speedway which was won by tim fedewa a uh, little bit of irony and coincidence here. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Jacob Seelman from Speed Sport News, uh, his grandparents owned that race team. So just a little bit of eerie coincidence that uh, the two of us knew each other, even though we had no idea about it back then. I was about four years old uh, at the time. The first driver I remember meeting was actually a family friend. Uh, granted, I didn't know him that well at the time. I didn't know who he was that well at the time because I was just a kid. But uh, Mike Stefanik, um, he and mom grew up together. Uh, I was introduced to Truex's. We used to go to Wall Stadium all the time. Uh, Flemington, when that was open, uh, we would sit with the Bluets, the Truexes, the Fanic, Christopher, uh, uh, the uh, who's who essentially of Northeastern racers. Uh, and my sister went to NASCAR Tech. She got into the industry a little bit. Uh, she worked for Rusty Wallace, for Tiger Tom Bistoni, uh, I think most recently Carlos Contreras. Uh, and I always knew I wanted to do something in racing. So early on, like any other kid, I wanted to be a racer, and slowly I knew that wasn't going to be a, a possibility, so I looked at being an engineer, then I looked at being a historian, and about 10 years ago now, uh, I got iRacing, funny enough, and my... I found success on the IndyCar side of iRacing, even though I'm the NASCAR guy. It, My teammates were going from high school to uh, college. I think one was going to Rutgers and one was going to another college. I forget what. But they weren't going to have time to write for iRacing News. So they recommended me to take over for them. 
And that's how this all started for me. I started writing for iRacing News in 2011, covering the IndyCar series on iRacing. That eventually led me to Popular Speed, then More Sports Tribune, and now Kicking the Tires. So let, let me ask you this real quick. You had talked about your your grandparents going to races and then wheeling yes. your wheeling your uh, grandfather in a wheelchair. Yes. To, to, well, what type of race were they? Were these like lo- local short tracks, sprint, sprint no, races, lo- or were they, they were, were they local, like they were local short tracks for the most part? Uh, modified racing, uh, and I would say what's essentially now the Bush North or the uh, ACT Tour. Uh, or I should say uh, the ARCA East Tour or ACT Tour now, but uh, the, the point of the matter is they would wheel him into the infield. Uh, he had polio uh, as a result of being in the concentration camps, but that's another story for another time. But uh, Yes, it's supposed to be a happy show. Yes, yes. Well, the thing is he embraced this country and this sport, and if it wasn't for him embracing this sport, that long line, I wouldn't be doing this today. So he would get wheeled in and he would hang out with, uh, Jeffrey Bodine, uh, Todd, uh, when, after mom came around, uh, she hung out with Todd Bodine, Brett Bodine. So it, again, it's just a who's who of Northeastern modified and short track racers that, to a certain point, I grew up watching and sometimes hanging out with the family, and I didn't even know them, to be honest. I, I had no understanding of who they were until 10, 15 years later. Yeah, so now, you, now, now Seth, you're based in North Carolina now, which is the hotbed for NASCAR. So when, when was it that you, you know, left uh, the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area and um, kind of relocated to the Carolinas where, where you're right in the middle of NASCAR country? Well, in 2001, my sister moved down to go to NASCAR Tech right after it opened. Uh, She graduated, uh, I want to say she was one of the first eight females to graduate from the college. And that was in 2004. After working for Rusty Wallace for, I think, two or three years, that's when uh, the rest of us moved down. So I would say June, July 2006 was when we moved down. and at that time, I was going to be starting high school. So uh, at Lake Norman High School in Mooresville, North Carolina, I actually was a classmate of a couple of either children of NASCAR drivers, crew chiefs, or even some drivers who, granted, they may not drive now, uh, say, Polly Haraka, Mark Davis. Uh, I know... Uh, I was a classmate of Jeffrey Fuller, uh, who is the son of uh, modified racer Jeff Fuller. Uh, so I always had this NASCAR connection uh, in one way or another. Sometimes I knew it. Sometimes I didn't understand it. But I was always around the sport in one way, shape or form. That's, that's good stuff, Seth. Yeah. So, so I guess it's time for me to share my story. And mine is a. Uh, a little since I'm older than y'all. I mean, you uh, you're talking about 2006. You know, 2006. I was uh, two years into my second marriage. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, my my story starts back in the the uh, the early 70s, um, and I uh, my I I 
come from a racing family. My my uncle owns a race team, races in the SCCA. Um, when when I was very young, it, his race team wasn't where it is now. Uh, the, he was doing a lot of kind of solo two stuff, autocross. He was also doing a lot of radio controlled racing, right? Um, the RC cars were property, then there was a circuit. But he would just take me along to the racetrack all the time. And so for for context here, uh, we lived in New Jersey. Uh, my my mother's family, uh, we, with the racing uncles uh, in Pennsylvania, about one hour and ten minutes apart. So we would go we would go to Pennsylvania all the time. Uh, you know, Freeland Hazelton area is where they lived, and there, there's a thriving racing community there of uh, folks that, uh, that that raced on a local basis. Uh, the the northeastern Pennsylvania region of the SCCA has always been one of the strongest regions of the SCCA. Uh, but then there was also a big um, kind of modified scene up there as well. So I spent a lot of times hanging out with my uncle in garages while he was working on cars um, or at other people's garages while he was picking up auto parts. And the, the first race car driver I ever met was Al Aquasto, who was uh, from Easton, Pennsylvania. And I'm just on, on, on a trip that uh, my uncle took me over to uh, Al's place in Easton, pick up some engine parts that were either, you know, buy, he was either buying or trading, whatever. Not sure what they were doing. I was I was nine or ten. Uh, but I'm like, here's a guy who's actually raced in the Indy 500, right? And, and at that time, oddly enough, at that time, the, the Indy 500 was not – really big for me, right? I had kind of grown up watching road course racing, sports cars, um, the old, you know, the IMSA, I think it was called Camel GT at the time, and Formula One uh, were the big things for me. The Can-Am series was huge for me. We, we loved that stuff. The first race I ever went to was an IMSA race at uh, Lime Rock, uh, Lime Rock Park up in Connecticut. And um, that was... Uh, you know that was the Monday day after the Indy 500 race, and and so the first I remember I remember vaguely watching the Indy 500 for the first time on television, and it was in '79 when Mears won, and I I just remember vaguely not understanding the driving around in circles, but it was later that same year that um, my uncle took it to me up to Watkins Glen. And the, uh, the the IndyCars, which was the, the first season of the kart series, uh, was running at Watkins Glen. Now, we had been up to the uh, the Formula One race uh, the year before. And, you know, my uncle got the paddock passes. We were able to go through. I was able to talk to some mechanics. A guy from the Williams team gave me a spark plug uh, that I still have. <laughs> the guy, a guy from the uh, Parmalat Brabham team gave me a T-shirt that he had used to to polish the tires or, or whatnot. Um, but I, you know, I still have that greasy uh, T-shirt too. But we never met a single driver. We we go up to this IndyCar race or cart at the time, and uh, go to the same paddock there, the the little little garages there, Watkins Glen they had at the time, and, and I met uh, Rick Mears. I met Bobby Unser. I, I, I met uh, Al Unser, I met Johnny Rutherford, I, I met all these guys that were going to be racing. You know, I met uh, Bob Tullius, who was running, because they had a, the uh, sports car racer as well. And I was just, like, kind of blown away by the fact that uh, Formula One, although I really love Formula One, that just the access to the drivers in, in this American form of racing 
was was fantastic. So I started following the cart series, and you know from there, cart just got better and better. It, it really did. We uh, had a chance to go to the race at Trenton uh, later, or the following year, 1980, or it might have been 79, 80. You know, it's I'm old. Uh, and Trenton was a very unique and interesting track, but it was a driving around in circles kind of thing. Although the circle at Trenton looks like a kidney bean, so there's a, you know, there's a right turn in the middle of the straightaway. Um, but it, it just it just hooked me on this. Uh, and as car got better and better, uh, then I really began to to understand IndyCar racing and oval racing. And somewhere in the middle 80s uh my family relocated to virginia so now i was pretty far away from my uh my uh, race team owning uncle didn't go to races quite that much but what we did have in uh in virginia was martinsville speedway 45 minutes from my parents house so i said well, let me go check out this nascar thing right we'll go we'll go you know we went i i had read in the newspaper you could buy um, general admission seats at the gate. I said, okay, I'd sit on the back stairs. I said, that's fine. So the ticket booth we went to was selling regular tickets. It's, oh, you got to walk all the way around the track to get the general admission tickets to the to the back, right? I said, okay. I said, well, what tickets do you have here? So we've got some tickets on the front stretch, but they're you know, really close to the track. They're in row one. I said, okay, so we'll, we went ahead and bought those. We'll just we'll just sit in row one on the front stretch of Martinsville, <laughs> and this is uh, this is about oh, 1989, maybe. I remember Jeff Jeffrey Bodine won the race. Seth, you could probably look it up and see what year it was. Um, so it was a really neat experience. The but the the row one at Martinsville is something I'll never do again because uh, at the time in Martinsville, it was acceptable to throw beer cans and chicken bones down to the ground from the higher up seats. So these were going over our head the whole race. In the meantime, we're we're so close to the track, our our, our faces are getting uh, you blown away with with tire dust. So it was just well, it was a fun time, but it but it hooked me on NASCAR uh, as a form of racing. So so by the time I was a, a young adult, I was fully immersed in sports cars, IndyCar, and now NASCAR. Uh, what car was Jeffrey Bodine driving? Do you remember? Was it? Uh, I want to say it was a Motorcraft car then that Maybe. was 1992 no it wasn't that late so but he, he, won it, a, it, he won a couple there well the motorcraft car was a red car owned by bud moore he jeffrey bodine also drove the red number 11 budweiser car in 1990 and he won at martinsville that year could have been i remember the first two races i went to martinsville jeffrey bodine won them both uh well he won martinsville a grand total of Three times in the Cup Series, 1984, 1990, and 1992. I must have skipped 91, because I, I think I went in 90, and then didn't go 91, went back in 92. So, but, but then, then from then on, then I went to, you know, I would go to Martinsville regularly, and I, I want to say I won, you know, I saw Ernie Irvin win one there, I saw Dale Earnhardt win one there, I saw Rusty Wallace win three or four. So, but Martinsville was always a good time, always a good time. Um, but then, then later, that's that's when I then I moved back up north, uh, sometime around there. I moved to Wisconsin for a while, and then then I moved back to Pennsylvania. But that's about the time I started started writing. I had always been interested in the history of the sport, always 
you know, cataloging facts. When I started writing, and it was in, in the very late 90s, I started to, I started my own website. I actually started to build websites for, for drivers because this whole website thing was a new thing. And I, I would reach out to these, um, these kind of guys in the lower series that are, that are maybe getting ready to, to make the jump to IndyCar. And I remembered I had designed a website for Townsend Bell. And which he still hasn't paid me for yet, but uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a nice looking website. Um, so I did that, but then I, I started to just put myself out there. And, 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 and one time I said, uh, I just went ahead and got a hold of uh, Penske Racing. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. living in Pennsylvania at the time they were in Reading I'm like well could I come out and interview Tim Sendrick and have a tour of the shop and they granted that so that my first person I ever interviewed as a, a journalist was Tim Sendrick and he was so nice and so accommodating it was 2001 because they had just picked up the IRL cars and they were going to enter the Indy 500. So he was able to, he, they had the two cars there, the IRL car and the, the cart car there side by side. And uh, he was able to kind of show me all the uh, the ins and outs um, of the differences between the cars. It was really neat. And it got me really interested in uh, just, just trying to just write about this for a living. And I, and I, I followed a full series and wrote about the full series for a while. And then I dropped out for a while, work-related. And then it was, well, I guess it was 2013 or so when uh, Candace Smith, who started this Drafting the Circuits, asked me to if I'd join her on her podcast. And I knew Candace from living in Virginia. We worked, we worked together. And um, we were both big race fans. Matter of fact, uh, her husband, Ryan, and I would go to Martinsville all the time. That that was my going to the race buddy. So, uh, you know, from there I started applying for credentials and, and, and writing. And and um, eventually Candace moved on and this show dropped in my lap and here we are today. So, Richard. Yeah. You have an idea for... In the UK, we have a game show, show called "Would I Lie to You." Yes. Yes. I don't know. So, so you're gonna you're gonna make a statement about your motorsport background, and we have to tell you if you're lying. You have to work it out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead. Tell you me. You can ask questions. And it can, you know, so so it, it probably works a little bit better on TV, but we're gonna give it a go anyway. I hope there's no like trademark <laughs> copyright against us. But anyway, um, so my first ever. NASCAR race that I went to working for a team, I was personally responsible for half of the pit crews missing the truck race. 
Uh, and exactly how did that happen? So I, last minute on a Friday afternoon, it was the Atlanta race. Friday afternoon, I was asked to go down because I had a problem with one of the cars. And I was late for the flight. I just didn't have a chance to get down there. So we missed our departure slot by about an hour, maybe even a little bit longer. And then by the time we got to Atlanta, it was the rush hour, and we had to land at Atlanta Airport. And by the time everybody, got, all the pit crews got down to uh, the track, the uh, truck race had already started. How many laps into the race was it? Oh, I I kept a low profile. So I <laughs> quite tell how many laps. I think you're lying. <laughs> I'm with Chris. I think you're lying. Really? Yeah. I don't know, Richard. Yeah. How? So how? It is true. true. So, (laughs) so I'll exaggerate. I'll elaborate a little bit more. So yeah. So we had a problem. It was when the uh, driver adjustable track bars first came in, and. um, I've been working on that since I moved over, and that was my little project. And, and one of our cars had an issue with it, more user error than a technical error. But so you've got to get down, you've got to get down. And I was told the flight left Charlotte Airport at four o'clock. So I drove from Welcome in North Carolina to my apartment I was staying at in Winston, and I'm driving down 77 or whatever it is to get to uh, the airport in Charlotte. And the travel coordinator calls me, and she's like, oh, where are you? Where are you? I said, oh, I'm probably about... 20, 25 minutes away. Oh, the plane's about to leave. It's like, well, you said four o'clock. No, I said about four o'clock. It actually leaves at 3.45. Great. Um, yeah, she should have told you about three o'clock. Exactly. But even if, I, mean, I definitely wouldn't have got there if it was three o'clock because I, I didn't stop from the second they told me to go there. But anyway, so I'm going down there. And it's all a charter flight. So you, uh, you know, you don't park in the main airport, thankfully. So, you know, you park in a private parking lot and then they golf cart you out to the plane. And I knew I was in trouble when I, there's only one parking space left in the lot and there's the golf cart right next to that parking space waiting for me. So I get my stuff, throw it in the hole. You know, you just literally put this stuff in the hold of the plane. And I walk on this plane and it was like a 737. So what, 120, 130 people. Um, and it was one that we shared with a couple of other teams. And it's got all the pit crews and all the media and all the PR people. And they are just all staring at me. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> and the, the 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 sort of stewardess woman who's organising says, "Oh yes, yeah, so you, you're, here's your seat," and it's like the back row, the last row on the plane. So I have to walk past everybody. everybody. And I'm getting some stinking looks and people. You know, oh, oh God, no! You know, and I get anyway, I sit in my seat and I, and I'm hot and I'm sweating and I'm flustered because I've been running around and I like sink into my seat. Like, You've got to be joking. And then, uh, you know, the, the tannoy comes on and the captain goes, uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, um, due to the late arrival of a certain passenger, <laughs> we've, missed our depart- <laughs> we've missed our departure slot here at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Uh, the next available slot, it's in about 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour's time. We'll get you into Atlanta as soon as possible. And, you know, people like standing up and staring at me. I'm like, you have got to be joking. <laughs> I would just driven. Like, I should have just kept going. I should have said, no, let the plane take off. I'm going to drive. So by the time we took off, it was probably probably nearly two hours late leaving. 
Um, <laughs> we get into rather than getting into Atlanta at like two o'clock in the afternoon, we probably land at about four or five o'clock in the evening. Um, which is, I mean, Atlanta's a bad enough city to drive around, and because the track's quite a way south of the um, international airport in, in in Atlanta, you know, it's taking people like an hour and a half to drive to the track, and there was at least three or four pit crews on this flight, and. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't. just let me go to the hotel, please. <laughs> so, yeah, I think at least I think one crew actually missed. I think one, at least one team didn't have the pit crew for a stop and had to use mechanics. So I was really popular. <laughs> but, hey, I'm just doing what I was. And I literally that was my, I'd been in the, I'd lived in the US for like two months. And um, I, I, you know, it was my first race that I had to go to. And um, oh, good grief! It was just a nightmare. How did he, the team finish? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I say I kept a very low profile that weekend. Very, very, very low profile. Um, I um, I almost actually flew back with our Xfinity guys on the Saturday because I just got to get out of here. But I thought, no, no, I'll stay for the cup race. Oh yeah, it was horrible. It was, and it rained as well. I remember that race; it was delayed because it was wet. And I, I also no, the shoes that I had weren't waterproof. <laughs> I found out that day as well. Oh it man! Was this, and of course, everybody knew me as the guy that was late for the plane, so I couldn't exactly go and hang out in a hall because everybody was like, you know, bad mouthing me, and it's like, oh gee, just get me out of here. Good fun though. Good fun. That's but, hilarious. Yeah, it, That's it, hilarious. Yeah. So baptism of fire in that one. Yeah. All right. So, so here's here's a trivia question for you, Richard. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. So, we, we you know we often often talk about uh, drivers with the most wins that never haven't won a title, right? In Formula mm-hmm. One, in Formula One, that's Sterling Moss. 16, yep. Yeah. Six, Sixteen wins with no title. Um, yep. In uh, in NASCAR, who was it, Seth? Uh, most wins without title. Junior Johnson. Correct. Mm-hmm. Junior Johnson and in Chris and IndyCar that's Um oh, that's actually a really good question. That's actually one I don't know. Okay, well Elio Castroneves, thirty wins with no title. Oh, that's what... <laughs> so Oh yeah, that's right. He never did win a title. God he was so close so many times. He was so close so many times, but 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 Richard, who do you think the Formula One driver that won a title? With the least career wins. Not, I mean, least wins in the season he won the title, but the, the Formula One champion with the least amount of career wins. That's a good question. And there are two answers that are correct, because there's two guys tied. One of them is your countryman. I'm going to first one, I'm going to say Keki Rosberg. No. Oh, okay. A country. Oh, so British Formula One world champion. Uh, so I think who could that? Oh, um, James Hunt. Nope. Oh, Chris, you want to take a stab at it? Damon Hill. Nope. No, he won more than his father. I know that. I remember Damon Hill surpassing Graham Hill's record. And uh, Mike Hawthorne. Yes, Mike Hawthorne. Ooh, ooh. Three career wins, yep. And you know who the other one was? Farina? Nope. 
Zeth, he's your countryman. Hmm. Mm. How, how many American Formula One champions are Phil there? Phil Hill. Yes. Phil Hill, Mike Hawthorne, three Grand Prix wins apiece, both world champions. Yeah. Wow. Uh, interesting. Well, yeah. How, many did, uh, how, many, how many races did Sterling must win? 16. I was actually reading a little bit about the race that was in um, Marrakesh, I think it was. It was the Moroccan Grand Prix in the year when Sterling Moss and Mike Hawthorne both had a chance to win the championship going into the final race. And uh, it was, you know, you read the stories of those races and you just think that would be amazing if it happened today. But, you know, it's all too sterile, isn't it? It's all too controlled. You know, some of the stuff that was going on was fantastic. Here's the interesting thing, because I was looking this up today, right, when you figure, you know, guys with a lot of wins without a championship. Um, Sterling Moss is actually, I, I believe, 17th on the list of all-time winners, which means the first 16 are all champions. And, of course, you've got the, you know, the, the guys up there, uh, you know, have, have longer careers this day and age, you know, like, like uh, you know, Hamilton has been around a while. Schumacher had a nice long career of the guys at the top there. So, but uh, you got to go all the way down to 17th on the list to to come up with Sterling Moss. So all those other guys are champions. So now Seth. Yes. Here's a trivia question for you, and this might be quite easy. We'll see. Well, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about our, about rookies in the sport, and rookies are usually young guys, right? So, um, I mean, NASCAR once had a rookie of the year that was 48 years old. Remember who that was? I have to say it's either Harry Gant or Dick Trickle. Dick Trickle, yep, 48 years old, rookie of the year, yeah. So you remember what I, Dick Trickle was known best for besides uh, jokes about his name? Uh, smoking in the car. Yep, yep. Whenever, whenever the car should come out, he he had a he had a lighter there and a dashboard. He fire him up a Marlboro or probably a Winston. Probably not a Mar, probably a Winston, and uh, have a cigarette in the car. And the, <laughs> you know, yeah, you well, never, you never see that today. Well, you know, that also depends sometimes. Uh, because I remember, I want to say it was in '98, maybe '99. Jimmy Spencer was sponsored by Camel, and sometimes he would get camels from Jimmy Spencer as well. So it, it varied from week to week. It just depended on what was on hand for him. Yeah, speaking of Jimmy Spencer, one of my favorite guys, one of my favorite guys in in the sport. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I've got I've got some neat Jimmy Spencer stories uh, because during the time when uh, Jimmy worked for uh, drove for Junior Johnson, I was working for a marketing firm that that represented McDonald's, right? And we had put together the whole package for uh, McDonald's to sponsor Junior Johnson. We had a uh, 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 Hutch Strickland the first year, uh, and Jimmy Spencer the second year, and um, Jimmy was just so fun to hang out with at the races because he was, you know, he's he's got a bigger, larger than life personality, right? And we would uh, we had to do this event that McDonald's put together called Breakfast with the Stars, right? So essentially, what we do is put uh, uh, just like a little contest box in in uh, fifty local McDonald's stores around the area wherever the race was being held uh, and you could just you know you know put your name in and 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 and, and then we we draw out uh 50 winners out of out of the stores right so you know 50 stores one winner from each store and then they could bring one guest so we'd have 100 people set up this tent 
Um, and we do it, it'd be like early in the morning, right? Um, the qualifying day. So you folks come out with their, uh, you know, won this contest. We had uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr., uh, Junior Johnson, and Jimmy Spencer all come and speak and then have opportunity for autographs and photos, right? But uh, the funny thing was I'd be hanging out with Jimmy the day before, and Jimmy's um, teammate was Bill Elliott. And Bill Elliott drove the Budweiser car at the time. So you know what was available at Bill Elliott's hospitality area? Free Budweiser. Beer. Free Budweiser, yeah. So I, <laughs> and I still got this photo, and I'll, I'll put it on, on our Facebook page later. Uh, the, the one time Jimmy and I had too much fun <laughs> at the, at Bill Elliott's thing the night before our breakfast with the stars, and we both had to get up earlier than we would have liked to when we both looked like garbage. So, but uh, Jimmy Spencer, I just I just love that dude, man. He is just uh, a heck of a driver. You know, it, it's, it's a shame he's only got two cup wins to his credit because he was uh, he was aggressive, he was fun, uh, he he was bold, he didn't apologize for anything. He was just, yeah, you know, he's your your your, your typical, um, you know, kind of gnarly driver of that kind of era era. Oh, you know, even in in, in the Dale Senior mold there, you know, unapologetic everything. But uh, yeah, yeah. So Jimmy's still around, hanging out. Does uh, television stuff sometimes every now and again, but uh, it's just pretty neat that you bring up Jimmy Spencer. So now, now Chris, do you have a trivia question to stump Seth? Sure. Or, or to stump me? All of you. Because you can't stump Richard. <laughs> I, I, I got all of y'all. Okay. All right. Uh, no Wikipedia or anything else like that for this one. All right. No, none of us are cheating. All right. My favorite Indy 500 trivia question. Um, two drivers in Indy 500 history have done the following. Start first, second, and third. Finish first, second, and third. Multiple poles, multiple wins, one in full lap track records, and one rookie of the year. Name them. I've got to say Mears is one of them. Yes, he is. And the Dalio? other one? Who? Frankie Uh, no, he did not win rookie of the year. Yes. My my other guess and is plus he doesn't have uh, one five track records. Lion Dyke. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I, uh, I wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Phrasing. Well, yeah. Well, phrasing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> so here, I'll here's a. Here, oh yeah. Go, okay. Go ahead. I'll yeah. So uh, I think we actually mentioned this a couple of weeks ago um, with, and I guess, Chris, probably you could answer this one as well. I don't know. Um, if Jimmy Johnson does race, you know, make his IndyCar debut next season, uh, you know, will he be the oldest debutant in the, season, in the series? And if not, who is? How old is he? He's 44 now. I think he's going to be 45 next year. So is he the oldest in the current debutant. race, or the, or, or the oldest ever? No, the old, oldest debutant. He'll be the oldest driver. Won't the he? oldest rookie. Sato. Yeah, who's the oldest rookie ever? In a okay. St. James. Right. Uh, in St. James, she was 45. Which, so it's going to be close to that. Because Jimmy turns 45 later this year. Okay. So it might come down to uh, the month. Days and weeks and months. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so is the answer Lynn St. James? Currently, I guess. Currently, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, but, but 
Okay, good enough. So, uh, so here's a weird one. You know how they, we don't nobody likes the number thirteen in racing, mm-hmm. right? Dan, Dan, especially at the Indy Five Hundred, uh, it was actually outlawed from like nineteen twenty three to two thousand two. But uh, who was the first guy to run the number thirteen at the Indy Five Hundred? I don't know. Seth, any any idea? This goes this well, goes way way well, back. I was gonna say when you say first one, did you mean the first one after uh, it was no longer banned, or the first one in general? First one ever. I would the, have the, no the, idea. The, the first guy to run the thirteen uh, was early on. The second one was eighty-seven years later. Do you design a website for that guy? <laughs> no, Gray might have, though. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a tough one because they, they outlaw the number for so long. And oddly enough, the very first Indy 500, they numbered the cars based on the entry list, right? And there was a number 13 car, although he didn't qualify. And qualifying for the first Indy 500 was you had to... Uh, you know, run your car down the front straightaway, see if you can get it up to 70 miles an hour, and that will qualify you for the race. So this guy, this this guy, that was that was qualifying. You run it a quarter mile down the front, quarter uh, mile down the front straight. So Billy Pierce is the one who uh, failed to qualify for the first one. Yep, you're googling now. So no, but, <laughs> but um, no, no. The answer to the question is who's the first guy to run the number 13 in the Indy 500? It was 1914, George Mason. He started 13th and finished 23rd, so uh, it wasn't too too awful of a day. So uh, well, the next guy to run it was Greg Ray in 2002, and the most recent person to try it was Danica Patrick. Danica oh, Patrick. Patrick, yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah, when she uh, tried to do her comeback. So now, Seth, you've got a question, and you'd, yes, like, to, and you'd like to stump Chris with it. So Yeah, I think this will stump Chris. Uh, Chris, exactly one car. That has won an Indy 500, has also won a NASCAR race at Darlington. What year did it win the Indy 500? Hmm. You said it won a NASCAR race at Darlington, too? Yes, the NASCAR Speedway division, which only existed for one season. What year was the Speedway division? 1952. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Frank remembers it well. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah. I was pit crewing for that guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. May have been there. All right. Um, I'm going to say it won the Indy 500. Did, which race did it win first? It won the Indy 500 first. Is it the Wins Friction Proofing Machine from 1950? No, it is not. It's right. earlier than that. Okay. Blue Crown Special. What year was that? Well, there's three possible choices, 1947, 1948, or 1949. Before even that. Okay, the Thorne Engineering Special from 1946. Before World War II. You've got the Boyle Maserati? 1933. So this guy was running a 1933 vintage IndyCar... Yes. In a in a NASCAR race in the fifties. Yes. That's the that's the Cummins diesel that Bill Cummins won the race in. 
1933 uh, actually was Louis Meyer who won the race. Oh, Bill Cummins won in 34. Oh, God. Uh, but it was run as a Cadillac in NASCAR because that was the engine that they put in it. And I know it was restored back to the Indy 500 winning status in the museum at Indianapolis. Nice. That is the only car to win a NASCAR race and an IndyCar race. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So here's a here's a weird way out there question, right? So over the course of the history of NASCAR, right, they've used a lot of different cars, right? And the you know now we've got the standardized car of tomorrow, but uh, <clears throat> there were times when you could just bring a stock car of what it was. So um, there was one occasion where somebody entered a Volkswagen Beetle in a NASCAR race. What track was that at? 1951 New Jersey Airport. Uh, I just don't remember exactly what the name of the track was. What? Mm, I don't know. I've got different information on that New Jersey Airport. I've I've got a, a photo... Volkswagen Beetle running in a NASCAR race at Langhorn. Okay. Uh, we, might, we might have to look that one up after the show. So, uh. <laughs> Richard, well, you got, I, Richard, you got one or Seth, you got another? Or Chris? I was, the reason why I was saying uh, the New Jersey airport, I was thinking that because that's the only race until Toyota won that a foreign manufacturer had won. So well, I didn't say he won the race. I said he entered the race. I've got I've got one. All right, go ahead. Only one driver in Formula One history is credited with a DNQ, a DNF, and a DSQ in the same Formula One race. Who is it? I remember did, okay. watching this. Uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Did didn't qualify, didn't start. No, he didn't, he didn't qualify, he didn't finish, and he was disqualified. <laughs> okay, so they're not qualified. Well, like, he, he obviously I didn't know, didn't start he if he it, if he, he didn't qualify, he didn't start. He he got on yeah, the grid and the officials did, didn't see him. Guess, he got on the grid and the officials didn't see him, and then when they realized he was on track, they disqualified him. I just don't know the name. I was oh. actually actually watching. what happened was he uh, he he didn't qualify. He was the first reserve driver. Okay. Um, he snuck onto the grid. The gearbox failed after 10 laps, and then he was disqualified. <laughs> so it was a D- DNQ, a DNF, and a DSQ. Wow. <laughs> what year was that? 1977. <laughs> That's some crazy stuff, man. All right, so here, here's one for you. Wait, hang uh, on. We haven't answered the question yet. Who was it? I don't know. Yeah, who was it? Hans Heyer. Here's the best part. <laughs> Matt Bishop like tweeted about it four days ago on Twitter, and none of y'all remember that. I remember it from a WTF1 video uh, that they did on the strangest reasons uh, drivers uh, failed to finish a F1 race. Yeah, so this guy, so actually Matt Bishop, uh, who did PR for, he actually was a journalist for several years, and then he did PR. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, I know the name, yeah. He tweeted it, he tweeted that name out about three or four days ago, and I'm like, oh, damn, that's a, that's a $32,000 question on who wants to be a millionaire. 
Well, it does sound like a character from a naked <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, it does, yeah. <laughs> so, so Richard, here's one for you, or maybe for the other guys. So, what's the what's the Formula One race with the record for fewest cars running at the finish? Oh, I'm gonna say that was was Monica '96. Oh, you're good. You're good. You nailed I was going to guess yeah. Monaco 95, so... Olivier Panis won. There was three cars classified at the end of the race? Three cars running at the end of the race, yep, yep. Yep, Panis won, yeah. I tell you, I can't remember what I did at work yesterday, but I'll remember that all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Last win for okay. Ligier in Formula One. Okay, yeah. I have another yeah. trivia question. Uh, Richard Petty has 200 wins. However, the first win he would have gotten was protested by another driver. Lee Petty. And why was he protested? Uh, Scoring. Who was doing Richard's scoring? Uh, Linda Petty? Yes. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Who else got one? I'm struggling. You're struggling? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Seth, uh, we got all about three minutes left. But let's talk about the um, the the uh, e racing a little bit. E racing, okay. i racing. Now, so now before you get into the the replacements one, there's also another one, Chris, and I believe you're familiar with it. It was called the Race. Uh, yeah, that that's a outlet. Yes, they they had organized uh, an e race with several drivers. Um, and I think that might have been the one that Max Verstappen and Lando Norris did, where Lando, um, and I'm saying this only because Ryan Newman's okay, he did where Max uh, Norris did to Max Verstappen what Ryan Blaney did to Ryan Newman. Uh, that was actually a different one, uh, because the one that the race organized was on Forza using uh, the F1 cars. Ah. Uh, but the one that Lando and... Uh, Max were doing, and that was, I think, earlier today or yesterday, that was uh, also, I think that was also promoted by the race, but I don't uh, entirely know. Uh, There's been so many this past week. Uh, On Sunday, uh, Kevin Hamlin and TJ Majors had organized a replacement race that they jokingly uh, named the Replacements 100, which was broadcasted live on Podium Esports. It featured uh, not only themselves, uh, spotter Josh Williams, you had drivers William Byron, Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Bubba Wallace, uh, you had Xfinity Series drivers, Truck Series drivers, ARCA drivers. You even had uh, musician Tim Duggar and former NFL Pro Bowler Kyle Long in the race. Uh, it was a fun little event that they did. Uh, Josh Williams, uh, who was Ryan Blaney's spotter, led from flag to flag, holding off William Byron and the pros to win the race. Uh, last night, uh, you had the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola Series in action, and uh, Williams eSports driver Ryan Luza earned their first career victory. Uh, Williams Esports, as in Williams F1, their uh, esports outlet, uh, does have a NASCAR team, and that's their first ever e-NASCAR win. All right, well, good for them. But uh, on a side note, 
<laughs> we have actually used up the whole hour tonight uh, just talking about uh, fun stuff. So, uh, guys, this was a fun show. I really appreciate uh, you all coming on. I really appreciate you folks that uh, that listened to us tonight. I wish we had updates on a race from last weekend to talk about. But, hey, you know, uh, until it is, we'll continue to try to bring fun topics and stuff to the show. So I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank Spreaker and iHeartRadio. And I want, to, I want to thank you, Chris, Richard, and Seth. And, of course, above all, I want to thank you folks for listening to us. So uh, till next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.